0: What you saw in the video is really kind of a modern retelling of a parable we're going to talk about today. And we've been uh, in this series on just talking about uh, God's favorite stories. And I think uh, some of God's favorite stories are our favorite stories. And they're the stories that Jesus told, the parables uh, that he told. And again, the purpose of a parable is that it really is there to instruct and to kind of reveal spiritual principles by using earthly illustrations. A parable is something that you take is uh, common to the listener and you use that to be able to communicate a spiritual truth and in jesus's day when he used parables uh, one experience that was very very common to all those that were listening uh, to jesus was farming, or the agricultural uh, mindset, much like it is today here uh, in our uh, state. And the parable we're going to look at today is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 13, if you want to open up to that or just follow along on the screen. And that parable is called the parable of the rich now, many of us have watched a very familiar game show, probably at one time or another, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Uh, one USA Today story recently found that most people would love to be a millionaire. The article went on to say that for a growing number of people, that is becoming more and more of a reality. Today, it is estimated that there are now around 9.6. Um, Million Americans with assets a million dollars or more. While well, just 10 years ago, there was less than half that number. The article also went on to say that the number of billionaires are multiplying at an even faster rate despite the current economic. Uh, downturn. In 1983, Forbes magazine documented that there were 13 billionaires in America, uh, and today there are 413. Now again, if you are one of those 413 and you are here this morning, if you would just stand so we could recognize you. (laughs) Article kind of went on to say, it said, never before in the history of this country has so much money been made so quickly by so many people. See, on the, on the one hand, there's nothing wrong. It's not, it's not sinful to wanna be a millionaire or a billionaire because I think it gives people in that position an opportunity to do a lot of great things. And there are millionaires and billionaires that have done that very thing. But on the other hand, being a millionaire or a billionaire or just someone who has a lot of wealth, it can be dangerous. It has the potential of being a very dangerous position. Isn't it amazing how many things come with warning labels on them today? I mean, you get car seats and cigarettes and alcohol. I mean, there's warnings on the gas pumps at gas stations, diet soda. I mean, even McDonald's at one point had to put a warning label on their coffee cups warning that the coffee was too hot. To me, that's like warning people that water is wet. Again, it just underscores the extent to which our culture has gone to warn people of potential harm. When's the last time you saw a warning label on a $100 bill? How about a warning label on your credit cards, your bank statement, your stock certificates? Sometimes I think there ought to be warning labels on those because there really is a potential danger to money, to wealth, and to material possessions. Now I know. People, you know, especially if you're here for the first time, think, oh my gosh, that's all the church ever talks about, you know, is money. But are you aware out of the 38 parables that Jesus told, 16 of them deal with mankind's relationship to money and material things? Jesus understood the potential danger in that, and that it is a great danger, and why he spends so much time talking about that. So this morning I wanna look at a parable about a man that the scriptures referred to as a fool. There's a familiar paro- or proverb a lot of us have heard before, and that is, a fool and his money soon part. Now this parable that Jesus is telling was not about a fool who was parting with his money, but rather Jesus is telling us about a rich man who would not part with his money. This man Jesus tells us about uh, was a fool, not because he had money, but because money had him. It's not that he owned great wealth, it's that his great wealth owned him. And we learn that this man goes on to die with basically a cancer of covetedness. So there are at least three principles, or or valuable lessons, I believe we can learn from this parable that Jesus tells us. And I think if we understand this, it will help us to be able to rightly relate to money, to put money in its proper perspective, and to be able to use our wealth in ways that are honoring uh, to God. The first lesson is, we just need to be sensitive to what you want, precursor to Jesus telling this parable was that he was teaching to the multitudes. And as he's teaching, somebody approaches him and interrupts him, and in verse 13 says, a teacher, would you tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me? And Jesus' response was, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then Jesus goes on and he says, beware, or your translation may say, watch out, guard against every kind or every form of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Another translation there for verse 15 says it like this, take heed and beware of covetedness. Now Jesus uses those two words, One word means, again, watch out. The other word of your translation may say, be on guard. In other words, Jesus is telling us right up front, we'd better put our hearts on guard, on high alert, when it comes to greed and covetedness. Now the Greek word for covetedness is very, very interesting. It literally means a thirst for having more. It refers to the attitude of wanting whatever we see and wanting more of it once you get it. I heard about an elderly lady who had moved into a retirement home, and she began staring at this one particular man who had been in that retirement home for years. She would go to breakfast, and she would sit right across the table from him, and she would just stare at him. She would go to lunch, sit down at the same table right across from him, and she would just stare at him. And she would do that in in the uh, evening meal. If he went out onto the front porch to rock, she would go out on the front porch and rock right across from him and just stare at him. This continued for about a week, and the man finally had had enough, and he said to her, Lady, why do you keep staring at me? And she said, You look just like my fourth husband. And he said, how many husbands have you had? And she said, three. Now there's something about covetedness that makes it a uniquely dangerous sin. First of all, do you realize greed, covenant, is one of the easiest sins to hide? I mean, this is a sin you can commit 24-7, 365 days a year, and nobody would know it but you and God. I mean, I could be up here preaching this morning and coveting things that you have that belong to you and you would never know it. The person sitting behind you or alongside you this morning could be coveting your house, your car, your job, and you would be none the wiser. Not only do others not notice it, we are at times deceived and oblivious to our own greed and covetedness. If there is one sin that doesn't really seem to bother any of us, it is the sin of greed or covetedness. Francis Xavier, who was the leader of the Roman Catholic Church many years ago, and he was a priest who listened to a lot of confessions. And he once said as an older man, he said, I have listened to thousands and thousands of confessions, and I have yet to hear one person confess to the sin of covetedness. Now in this instance, Jesus tells us about a man who uh, was covetous. was also a rich man. He wanted more than he already had. But you got to also understand, you don't have to be rich in order to be coveted, to uh, to have a covetedness. Some of the poorest people on earth have the disease of greed or covetedness. You don't have to be mean to be greedy, or to be covetous. Some of the nicest people on the face of the earth are the greediest. Again, it is the easiest sin to commit. It is the easiest sin to hide from anybody. Reminds me of the story about a mother who saw our two-year-old boy swallow a nickel. She ran over to him. She picked him up, turned him upside down, and started kind of hitting him on the back. And quickly, the little boy coughed up two quarters. And immediately the mother yelled for the boy's father, who came running, and he said, What happened? And the mother said, Billy just swallowed a nickel. I hit him on the back and he coughed up two quarters. What should I do? The father said, Keep feeding him nickels. <laughs> Again, the issue of covetedness, of greediness, is it's never, ever enough. We always want more. Again, one of the issues of covetedness. Um, is what Jesus was getting at here when he says in verse 15, he said, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. I love how the Living Bible kind of translates this same verse. And there it says, beware, don't always be wishing for what you don't have. He says, for real life, real living are not related to how rich you are. The point Jesus is trying to make was simply this. Your worth should never ever be determined by your wealth. Life is more, much more, than bank accounts, than stocks, bonds, real estate. And in case you're wondering what real life is, what real life consists of, listen to what 1 John 5, 12 says. says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. That's life. Life is having Jesus. Life is not found in having possessions. Life is found in a person, and that person is Jesus. And again, that's why you need to be sensitive to what you want. Second lesson that we can learn from this parable is be satisfied with what you have. Now again, Jesus is telling a story, a parable, about a rich man. It was also a man who was foolishly rich, but he was also richly foolish. In verse 16, and Jesus spoke a parable saying to them, the ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. Again, it's important to understand that this farmer was not a fool because he was rich. He was not a fool because he was prosperous and successful. Again, nowhere in the Bible Does it condemn well-earned, well-deserved financial prosperity? Do you realize some of the godliest men in the scriptures were also some of the wealthiest? Everything this farmer had, I believe he rightly earned. Every indication is this farmer was honest, hard-working, paid his taxes, he seemed like he was a good steward of his resources, he was a smart businessman, that was not the problem. So, what was the problem then? First of all, he misunderstood where his wealth came from, which is why he misused the wealth that God had given him. I'll tell you what, folks, anytime you misunderstand where your wealth comes from, it is inevitable you will begin to misuse it. I'm sure if you would have asked this farmer where his wealth had come from, His response probably would have been something like, I worked hard for this. I earned this. After all, he was probably the one who plowed the fields. He planted the seed. He tended the crop. He harvested it. I remember one time at one of our extended family gatherings for Thanksgiving some time ago, I was asked to give the blessing before we ate. The host there cut me off and said, I worked hard for the money that put the food on this table. And if you're going to give anybody thanks, you're going to thank me. Needless to say, there was no prayer offered that day. This was the same attitude that seemed to be displayed by this man. However, this was not the way Jesus viewed it. You notice Jesus did not say a certain man worked very hard and accumulated a great fortune. No, he says the ground of a certain man yielded plentifully in other words it was god that had given him the ground it was god that caused that ground to produce a plentiful harvest it was god that that had given this man the gifts the ability to be able to go out and to do what he did it was god that had given him his great wealth and the problem was not again that this man had money the problem was he worshipped money And the money he had wasn't enough. And he ends up replacing that companionship that Pastor Jim talked about. He he replaces the eternal God with really a material God. To put it another way, this man's problem was not that he had money, but that his money had him. The problem was, was that he loved, he worshipped money. Verse 17, Jesus says, and he thought within himself, he's, he's talking to himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? Bins are full, there's more that needs to be stored. And so he's got a dilemma, and he says, what shall I do? I'm out of room to store my crops. So right away, Jesus is pointing out, here is this man, he's talking to the wrong person. He's talking, he's thinking, reasoning within himself. He never addresses God, never looks to God, never refers to God, doesn't speak to God. All he cares about is himself and his possessions. As a matter of fact, this man is so self-consumed that in verses 17 through 19, you'll notice, depending on your translation, that this man uses the first personal pronoun 11 times referring to himself. And the scripture says, and he thought within himself, he's talking to himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In those verses, you don't hear anything about God, you don't hear anything about anybody else. It's all I, I, me, me, my, my. Here was a man who could not see the God who had blessed him with all this wealth. He could not see the poor who needed some of his wealth. There, the the shades of greed, had just covered over his eyes, and his heart had just kind of become coated with this concrete of covetedness. When you look back on this man's life, you saw that it really all revolved around and consisted of nothing more than barns, buildings, budgets, and bank accounts. Here was a man Jesus is describing that was just caught in the grip of materialism. The problem was this man thought His security, his future was in his money. And so he wanted to hold on to everything he could hold on to so that he could guarantee for himself a future of financial security. Job 31, 24 and 28, he makes kind of a similar observation. And there Job says, if I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence, this also would be an iniquity or a sin deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. And because this rich man denied God who is above, this is why God refers to this man as a fool. In verse 20, Jesus goes on, but God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided. The deception in this man's life was here he thought he had many, many years left to live, but the reality was he didn't have another day. This man had probably made many, many appointments that day, and yet he was unprepared for the most important appointment that every man and woman will have to keep. For Proverbs 9.27 reminds us, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. This very night, Jesus says, this man's soul was required of him. Now that term required is really kind of a fascinating term. It's a commercial term. It's a banking term which literally means to call in a loan. Do you realize your life is not your own? Your finances are not your own. You've merely been given what you have to be a faithful, good steward of that. There's going to come a day and a time where God is going to call your life like that loan. God's going to call in your life it is not your own your life and all that you have is on loan to you from god and god can call in that loan anytime he chooses and you'll notice in the calling in of that loan god doesn't call for His silver god asks for his soul and one of these days the hand of death should jesus tarry is going to knock on the door of every one of our hearts and our lives And God is going to collect the soul that belongs to him. And when he knocks on the door of your life, he's not gonna ask for your wallet. He's not gonna ask for your checkbook. He's not gonna ask for your stocks, your bonds, or your deeds. He's gonna ask for you, for your soul. See, the great tragedy in this story was not what this man left behind, but rather what laid before him. Here was a man who worked all of his life for everything and died without anything. Somebody has said that money talks. It does. It says goodbye. On his tombstone could have been written the words that are found on a tombstone over in England of a rich man who died and left nothing behind but his money. And here's what his tombstone read. Here's Liza Miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now, where he is or how he fares, nobody knows, and nobody cares. The third lesson, I think, that we can learn from this parable Jesus taught is be serious about where you are going. Now, who did Jesus tell this story for? I mean, who was his audience? What was his target? Well, he tells us in verse 21. He says, so is he who lays up treasure or stores up wealth for himself and is not rich toward God. Now listen carefully, every one of us in this room are doing one of two things. We're either laying up or storing up treasure for ourselves and when it comes to God, we're gonna die dirt poor or we are literally becoming rich toward God. Let me just give you some good news. I cannot guarantee that you will live rich but I can guarantee you if you will put money in its proper perspective, and if money is in its proper place, if you're a good steward of what God has given you, if you learn that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and that God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others, that's what it's all about. There's nothing wrong when God blesses you financially to be able to use part of that financial blessing to take care of you, to take care of your family, to provide for your needs and their needs. But it's also important that we take a portion of that and begin to use that to minister to God, to His kingdom. Maybe by by leveraging yourself and using some of that wealth to help people that are less fortunate. I mean, if you will learn how to do that, to be a good steward of that, you can die rich toward the things of God. Billy Graham tells a story of uh, years ago, he and Ruth were on an island in the Caribbean. And one of the wealthiest men in the world had asked him to come to his lavish home for lunch. At that time, this man was about 75 years old. And throughout the entire meal, Billy kind of noticed this man was just on the verge of breaking down into tears. Towards the end of the meal, the man just finally blurted out and he said, I'm the most miserable man in all of the world He said, look out there are my yachts, my airplane, my helicopter. I can go anywhere I want, anytime I want. I can have anything and everything I want to make me happy. And yet he says, I'm miserable as hell. Billy Graham said he talked with that man, he prayed with that man, and he pointed him to Christ. But this man would not receive, this man would not repent, and he would not get saved. They left that home, they went down the hill to a small cottage where they were staying. And that afternoon, next afternoon, a local pastor uh, of a Baptist church came to call. He was an Englishman. He was also same age as that wealthy man, 75. He was a widower and he had been spending a lot of his time uh, taking care of his two invalid sisters. And as he was meeting with Billy and Ruth, this man was just jumping up and down. He was full of enthusiasm. He was full of passion and love for God and for Jesus and others. And they were talking. And that Baptist preacher said to Billy, you know what, Billy? I don't have two pounds to my name. I I don't have a lot. But he said, I am the happiest man in the world. Billy Graham said when they left, he looked at Ruth and he said, Ruth, the two men that we have met, who do you think was the richer one? And Billy said, we both knew the answer to that question. You see, the truly rich, the truly blessed person is the person who is rich toward God. I want you to imagine as we close here this morning that you're living in the South during the Civil War. And let's say during that time, you have accumulated a large amount of Confederate currency. Now, suppose you knew ahead of time the North was going to win the war and that your money would soon be useless and worthless. Let me ask you a question. What would you have done, if you would have known that ahead of time, what would you have done with your Confederate money? Well, if you were smart, you would have taken all of your Confederate money and you would've turned it in, cashed it in for US currency because that would be the only money that would be of value once the war was over. Now listen carefully. We've got inside information, folks, that the world is coming to an end one day. We've got inside information that either when we die or Jesus returns, the currency of this world is gonna be worthless and absolutely useless. That should radically affect our investment strategy. For us to accumulate vast, and store up vast, earthly treasures, and never be generous toward God, never be a blessing to other people in the face of the inevitable future that we know is coming would be equivalent to stockpiling money, Confederate money, knowing that one day it is gonna be useless and worthless. Even if you could gain the whole world. Solomon proved this in Ecclesiastes. He had more than any man had ever had in his life. And he looked at all he had and he said vanity, vanity, All is vanity. Worthless, worthless, useless, useless. All of it is useless. That's why God warns us to be very, very careful of the deceptiveness and the danger of treasures and wealth. And He cautions us to use that in such a way that we would honor God, that we would bless others, and that we would die rich towards God. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do as well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up on the platform this morning. And I had a couple of people, you know, kind of left first service and said, oh, thank God, I'm not rich. You know, in other words, this doesn't really even apply to me. And I was just like, oh, the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of your heart. You know, folks, I don't care if you've got Uh, what you've got in this room, do you realize in comparison to the rest of the world, we are rich beyond belief. There are some people in this world that live on $2 a day. A lot of people in this world. So you know what? Even though you may feel like you don't have a lot in comparison to other people, you have a lot and you are blessed. And even with the little that you have, you are called to be just as faithful with that as those who have great wealth. It's not a matter of waiting till you get great wealth and then all of a sudden begin to learn how to responsibly use that. The Bible says where where little is given, again, you need to be faithful with that. And when you are faithful with that little, you know what? You get more. God begins to Trust you with more. So even if you're here this morning, and you feel like, I just don't have a lot. I've got very little. I'm telling you what, if you will steward that well, if you will use that to bless God, to bless his kingdom, to bless other people, even with that little, the Bible says God will begin to increase and to give you more. So again, it's so important that you not just look at your life and think, I don't have anything, this doesn't apply to me. Again, God is looking, I always believe God is looking for men and women who he can trust with true wealth, that will use it in a way that will, again, be a blessing to God and be a blessing to others. God's looking for people that'll just say, God, if you'll bless me, I will use that to further your kingdom. I'll use that to be a blessing and to help other people. And and again, God will just start you off with a little And as you're faithful with that, God will increase that. We gotta learn this now when we've got very little so that we'll be even more effective when we have the true wealth, the true riches uh, that I believe God wants to bestow upon us so that we can be a blessing uh, to other people. So don't let this, don't look at what you've got and think I don't have enough to even worry um, about this. So what I'm gonna do is I just wanna pray Again, I think, uh, like I said earlier, greed, covetousness, it is one of the easiest sins to hide. And it may be such too that that we're consumed by that and we don't even realize it. That is great deception. And so this morning, I just want to pray that God again would just search our hearts. I love the scriptures. One of the Psalms says, Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me, test me. Man, that's a great prayer when it comes to greed, covetous, when it, when it comes to wealth. God, search my heart. God, reveal my heart. Search me, try me, test me. Know me in this area. And so this morning, I just wanna pray for you. I want to pray that God would again just, if there is any element of greed or covetedness, if there's any kind of element of of selfishness, of fear in in terms of finances, that, that, that God would reveal that and that we can just release that to God and ask God to again just change our hearts, make us more like Jesus. I mean, God is so rich in his love. God is so rich in his grace. And there's no greater example of that than communion For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Jesus came to earth because of his great love for you and I. God is rich toward us in love. And this is the greatest demonstration, the greatest example of God's love for us. is when we come and we take the broken body and we just dip that in that shed blood of Christ, which the bread, the juice represent. It's it's God, once again, demonstrating and making known to us the richness of his grace, the richness of his love. Again, how he longs to forgive us, how he longs to bestow true riches. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life. God is rich in love toward us. And this morning, this is the greatest example of how much he loves you. You don't need to be a member of Praise Community Church to partake in communion. You could be here for the first time this morning If you're born again, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you can come this morning and just celebrate the goodness, the richness of God's love towards you. As again, you just celebrate the greatest gift, the greatest sacrifice, again, the greatest gift of love ever known to mankind. And as we do that, just ask God, God, would you just change my heart? Make me more like Jesus. Make me more giving. Make me more loving. Make me more of a blessing, God, to you and to your kingdom. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, again, just for the heart check this morning. I don't believe there's a person in here, God, who wants to be labeled a fool. And yet there just are times in our life, God, when it comes to money, when it comes to wealth, when it comes to our possessions, God, we can act very foolish. So, God, this morning, we just want to come to you, God, whatever place we're at, God, if we own great wealth or we're here and penniless, broke, whatever that may be, God, that again, God, you would just begin to reveal to us our heart, our thoughts regarding finances, regarding wealth, and God, I just pray, Lord, that if there's anything that doesn't line up with your word, God, that you, again, would just bring conviction to that place in our hearts, God. And that through your words, you would wash us, you would renew us. That God, you would help us to think rightly and to think soberly in those areas. And that God, as you would increase wealth, as you would increase blessings in our lives, God, that we could use that in a way that honors you and is a blessing to others. So God, as we come this morning, and to God, we just focus on your richness, your riches that have been revealed to us in and through Christ, especially his work upon the cross, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would instruct, change, and guide our hearts on areas of finances and other areas as well. And we just look to you, and we thank you for all that we have, for all that we are. And we just ask, God, that you would just increase wisdom, knowledge, your favor over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you